Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. This is your host, Vunch, and today I'm joined by another, a special guest. This is one of our uh, post-slam chats with the one and only Steve Flink, a man who needs no introduction by now. So, Steve, how are you today? Good, Vunch. It's a, a, this this will be fun. We had we had quite a fortnight over there, and you and I have got quite a bit to talk about. Yep, this is this is perfect. Um, the day after a major always feels a little bit... Uh, uh, you kind of have a little bit of an emotional hangover because you're so invested in all of these matches for the past two weeks. And in the West Coast, you're trying to just, you know, get your body clock back and so you can set back into the, to the routine. But I'm glad we get to do this. Yeah, so am I. So am I. Yep. So why, why don't we start right ahead with uh, the men's final and, you know, we can start big picture stuff with Djokovic. Um, obviously, there was quite a bit of the first week itself. There was some doubts coming in to this tournament for Novak, even though he'd won Adelaide, he'd saved that match point against Sebastian Korda. He obviously had the lingering hamstring issues, which were very evident in the first three rounds, particularly. But once he yes, sort of became that I, hurdle... I, 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 like, I like your choice of words there, very evident. To you and to me and to anybody reasonable and fair-minded. Why there were skeptics, I don't know, because anybody paying attention to Adelaide, who saw him run wide for the forehand, that's when he hurt the hamstring against Medvedev, knew that there was something going on. And why would he subsequently go to Melbourne and be in the middle of a practice match with Medvedev and, and apologize because he had to stop. And then all the things that followed and the medical timeouts in the early first three rounds, especially the second and third round, really. I mean, it's ludicrous for anybody to have doubted him. And, and for those who thought it was some sort of gamesmanship, it's ridiculous because he doesn't have any need. Uh, it, 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 when you're that good, you, you don't need that stuff, and you don't need this kind of aggravation either. So I like I like the way you uh, phrase that. Yeah, for sure, and you could you could really see it, especially um, he lost that second set to Enzo Quaco in the second round, um, and then he took another medical timeout in the third round, I think, against Dimitrov, and he's up in all these matches. So yeah, he, he had two. He had two two against uh, Dimitrov because he did it at the yeah. end of the first set and again in the third. No, he was. He was hurting, and he even said after Dimitrov that, which is unusual for him, closing out a straight set match, that he wasn't sure until the last point that he was going to win it. I mean, you know, he, he, that that's that's unlike him. He was clearly suffering. Now, was it was it enough to to you know? To, it was not. It was not on the level that he was going to have to withdraw, but he had to take very special care with that hamstring, and obviously. He described it later, going on these machines on the days off, taking the, you know, taking them whatever medications he needed, the, the anti-inflammatories, all of that stuff, and not practicing. 
Yeah. And again, that, that reminds me a bit of what Pete Sampras went through in the 2000 Wimbledon when he won his record-breaking 13th major and beat Patrick Rafter in the final. And he'd been very gimpy the whole tournament. He'd had a bad leg. He couldn't play on his days off. It's not fun for these top players to have to deal with something like that. But there, this was real. That's my point. This injury was was valid. It was authentic. And he was there, there was there was no gamesmanship involved. He, he and and you know you heard him say bunch after he beat Demonor in the fourth round. That's the first time you really believed that he could actually win the tournament. Until then, it was all about survival. Then it became much more about I'm ready to win this thing now. My my leg is improving. I can move better. And he said he he hit top form against Demonor. And um, that was the turning point in my mind, that fourth round match where he took him apart in straight sets. Yeah, for sure. And, you, you know, you look at his run overall, I think he only broke, he only lost a serve total of six times, which that's for him, right. this is one that's of the right. most you look at, dominant you look at, runs in his career. Exactly. And not only the six times, you know, the, the not broken in the first or second rounds, uh, Dimitrov managed to get him three times. He didn't get broken by Demonor. He didn't get broken by Rublev. Then it happened a couple of times, surprisingly, against Tommy Paul in the semis when he was up 5-1, 40-30, and he lost his serve twice from there, and then once once in the final. That's pretty remarkable. It's in it, it it's it's just more evidence of what's gone on in the last few years, the the influence of Ivan Isovich and his own emphasis. He was always a very good spot server, but he's put more emphasis now on the combination of pace and precision, and it's some of the best serving of, of his career, not to mention that the forehand was so devastating, the pace and the and the accuracy and the consistency of the forehand where he was dictating matches with it. And those two things combined, we've always known he had one of the great backhands of all time. You put the serve and the forehand into play like that, and they're that effective. It was a three-way deadly, deadly blend from Djokovic that buried everybody else. Yeah, and then you add in the fact that he was playing on Rod Laver Arena, where he's never lost a semifinal, never lost a final. He's now ten and zero right. in both rounds, and he's getting to play. He played all his seven matches at night, you know, which was, you know, really massive. Uh, it, you know, it, it massively even adds more to his aura, I think, because he just loves those conditions, and they're just he does. He does. You're right. And, you know, I heard some of uh, I had a friend, uh, an email or two from friends saying, is that fair that he plays a well? Listen, he's one. I think, so. I th- yeah, I think you kind of earn that right after a certain point in your career. This is the kind of thing that would have been done for Roger or for Rafa or yeah. any great player. And and it's also nice for the spectators that, you know, the evening crowd to have him out there for all those matches. And obviously yeah. you're automatically going to pretty much automatically going to get it from the quarters on. And uh, he, he got a break in the early rounds, but I, I think I think it, it was well deserved. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, his um, the absolute demolitions that he put on against Diminor and Rublev, I mean, just simply took apart Rublev like to pieces. There was just you know, in some ways, I think Rublev kind of walked on that court somewhat mentally defeated as well. Yeah, well, he had said it's interesting because he'd said prior to the match after beating Holger Runa, which was a big win for him, yeah. he said, nobody wants to play Novak. So you knew, and he'd taken a real sound beating from him, four and one, I guess it was, in the year-end championships in, in Italy. So that was pretty fresh in his mind as well, and, and I think he knows he has to be playing incredibly well. The win that he had over Novak in 
Serbia on the clay last year was, I hate to say it, but it was kind of meaningless. Yeah. If you consider where Novak was at that point and struggling that entire week, and he, he just hadn't found himself yet after all the, that was sort of the aftermath of everything that happened in Australia and starting his year late. And it wasn't until he got to, it was really when he got to Rome and won Rome, that's when things started to turn around. But I think it's a good matchup for Novak. I have to say, not that he needed any help, because in the form that he was in, I honestly don't think anybody, I don't care who he played in this tournament. I don't care if he'd had to play Holgerun. I don't care if he'd had to play Felix. Any number of guys that were there that he didn't have to meet, he was going to, I think he, in this form, he beats anybody. Having said that, I think it was also helpful that the draw was pretty kind throughout and enabled him to feel relaxed. He would have been a bit more uptight about playing Holger Rune. I, I'm convinced he would have beaten him, but I think psychologically coming off the loss in indoors in Paris last year and, and Rune being such a fearless sort of, uh, I mean, he's not, he's not irreverent. He, he has great respect for Novak, but he has a great sort of cocky layer to him. He's, he's, he really believes in himself and he's pretty exuberant out there and, he has high aspirations. So that could have been somewhat tense for a set or two if they had met. That was something of a break. And then maybe Tommy Paul in the semis had a great tournament. But that's not who Novak's expecting to play when the tournament starts. You don't, you're not, you don't think that's going to be the semifinal. You know, you're going to... So certain things broke for him. But, he, you know, he was relentless. And he lost one set in the tournament, as you know, in a tiebreaker in the second round. That was it. It was it was a very impressive fortnight for Djokovic, who, who never let his guard down the entire time. And then and once he started feeling good physically, like he did in the fourth round, fourth round on, then you know his game was at another level. And even the laps against Tommy Paul was it didn't really end up costing him because he had five one forty thirty missed a forehand down the line, and the next thing you know he's broken and he's broken again the next time serving a double in the next game and. It gets to five all, but at five all, he buckles down, has an easy hold, and then breaks in the next game. And he ends up winning 14 of the last 17 games there, too. So it was pretty much as convincing as the previous two uh, matches that he'd had against the Demonor and, and Rublev. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, then it all gets to the crescendo, which is the final between him and Stefanos. And, you know, coming in, he had already beaten Stefanos nine times. Obviously, we have the French Open final where he came back from two sets of love down. And then was pretty much the decisive player for the last three sets. But in this match, you know, obviously Stefanos was playing extremely well. He's got uh, a lot of Greek support, but not only that, his run to the final, I thought was also very encouraging, you know, beating Sinner along the way in five sets. He had those, he had a slight dip maybe in the third and fourth against Sinner, and, but then he navigated his way nicely in the semifinal against Hachinov. And you thought, you know, I was coming in fully expecting Djokovic to win in three tight sets. Maybe I predicted four going into the final. I thought Stefanos might be able to win that set. And lo and behold, he had that one set point in the second set, but I thought it was a first-rate performance from Djokovic, and I don't think, I think Stefanos can leave with his head held pretty high because I think it was a decently competitive affair for, for his second yeah. match, you know. Uh, Stefanos was not disappointed himself, nor should he have been, because really, yes, he was a little tight in the first set, but Djokovic was almost letter-perfect, and he won 20 of 25 points on his serve in that set. He was not near getting broken. And he got the early break for 3-1. He'd had 15-40 in the second game and didn't break him. But then he did the next time. And through that phase, Stefanos had not really found the range, nor was he serving his best. And he was feeling the occasion, I think, the weight of the occasion. But uh, then afterward, it got tougher, obviously, those last two sets. And all credit to Sitsipas for that. That 
the 10th game of the second set was crucial, Vanch, as you know, because I still think Djokovic would have been the winner in four sets, had, even had he gotten broken at four or five in the second. I strongly suspect he would have regained the ascendancy, but it was he didn't want to have to he didn't want to have to explore that scenario. Let's put it that way. And and in typical fashion, you know, he buckled he buckled down. And, and on that set point, you know, it was a good rally. And some people felt that Tsitsipas should have been, been more aggressive. I know John McEnroe felt that way. But he, I, I looked at that rally. I watched that point three or four times. Yeah. Tsitsipas was keeping his shots deep in that rally. He was just waiting for some type of an opening, which he never got. And then Novak's picked just the right ball, a cross-court backhand from Tsitsipas. It was fairly deep, but not hit terribly hard. And Novak just stepped around and hit his forehand inside in. But, well, I mean, nowhere near the sideline. It was just struck perfectly and just caught him off guard. And uh, Tsitsipas is stranded on the other backhand side of the court, so it's a clean winner. And then he holds on for five ball. And then that was an interesting tiebreak bunch because I thought Novak was – typically in that lockdown mode up to 4-1. And then he did get tight. And Tsitsipas got it back to 4-all because Novak lost two points in a row on his serve, which was really surprising from 4-1. You thought he'd be at the very least get to 5-2. Didn't. But then just just in, in, in another typically Djokovic fashion, he, 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 he just got right back at it at four all. You kind of sensed at four all that he's, he'd had enough and he decided, you know, I'm not missing another ball. And, you know, he out hit him from the baseline, two straight points, and then a service winner wide to the forehand. And just like that, three points in a row, and it's two sets to love. And obviously, Sitsipas's forehand faltered in that tie break and he got tight and he never really played that well in that tie break. But again, Djokovic did not let it get out of hand. That, I think, was really, really important for him to have the cushion of the two-set lead and know that, you know, with his experience, he was going to find a way to get across that finish line as soon as possible. But the start of the third was kind of intriguing because I didn't expect Djokovic after the bathroom break to come back and play a sloppy game the way he did. It was one of his few bad – it was his only bad service game. And he started with, you know, he started with a double fault and ended up getting broken and – uh, but then he gets it right back. Sitsipas had 30 love in the second game, and Novak came back and broke him. And that that was also very important because Stefanos was not able to establish much any momentum at all. If he could have had a little quick two love lead in the third, maybe starts to believe that he can get that set. But he was put right back in his place so swiftly by Djokovic getting that break in the second game. And then I thought from there, Djokovic, the, every service game was. I mean, he had a, a hold at 30 and then four love holds in a row after that to get to the tiebreak. And, and Sitsipas, to his credit, he, uh, he was unyielding too. And uh, he refused to be broken again. And fittingly, we settled it in another tiebreak. And I thought that tiebreak could well have ended up much more decisive in Djokovic's fashion because he won the first five points. But then having done that in the middle of the next point and the, the, the rally was pretty neutral at that stage and Djokovic was hitting the ball well they both were but nobody really had the edge and then suddenly a fan screamed out clearly distracted Djokovic and that at that point ended up being somewhat significant because Tsitsipas worked his way back to 5-3 and then Novak went to 6-3 before Tsitsipas saved two match points and then we had another example of Djokovic sort of measuring 
his shots perfectly. And uh, at 6'5 on serve there, he had a very good forehand inside in, pretty low and not too deep deliberately and close to the sideline. And, and that meant that Tsitsipas had to cover a lot of court and was stretched out on his forehand and he drove it long. So it was a really first-rate performance. And I thought Djokovic handled the, the Tsitsipas comebacks in both tie breaks uh, exceedingly well. And, and, and he deserved to win it in straight. It's, it's, quite, it's quite a remarkable feat, 10, 10 wins in a row over somebody that capable a player, you know, who's played such high-level tennis and a player who at one time had a 2-1 record against Novak in, in 18 and 19. He has won two of the first three matches, both on hard courts, both in three sets, too. So, uh, but since then, Novak has dominated the rivalry despite many hard-fought close contests. Where I'm encouraged for Tsitsipas, Vance, is that he, he was so reverential toward Djokovic afterwards, but not in a way that wasn't healthy. In other words, he felt like he'd given it his all. He'd come in fully believing. He'd even dreamed about winning it the night before. He literally had a dream about that. And he just lauded Djokovic as being the best player ever in his mind. But more than that, he just knew. I, I like hearing him say, I just lost to a better player because there's no reason for him to be disconsolate about losing that match in straight. Certainly gave Novak his toughest match at the tournament. And uh, yes, it was still straight, but two of the three sets are breakers. He, uh, Sitsipas lost his serve once in the first set early and once in the third set early when Djokovic got even. So that's not so terrible. And uh, I think the Djokovic serving numbers, I, I wouldn't be too critical of Sitsipas with that because, as you just alluded to earlier, when six breaks and seven matches, Nobody was nobody was able to really uh, get into Djokovic's service games very effectively. You know, he was he was disciplined throughout all across those seven matches that he played. So I think it was one of his more impressive majors. It's not the toughest draw he's had, but the sustained good form and particularly the form that he he, he maintained from Demonor straight through Rublev and Tommy Paul and Sitsipas, and he had to. In Tsitsipas, he was facing his most formidable rival uh, by far in the tournament, but he, 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 there was a clear disparity between the two. Yeah, he really managed to separate himself in, in, in several categories, you know, even, even though the scoreline was so close. Because, I mean, particularly, Tsitsipas has one of the biggest forehands in the game. You know, yeah. not how much damage it can do after, after his first shot, but also on the defense. And I think what Djokovic is able to do so well is able to challenge Tsitsipas's forehand. And he does this with all the best forehands. I've seen him do this to Del Potro, to Federer, to Kaspar Ruud, to players. Yeah, he does it to all of really you. His, his attitude is, his attitude is you, you prove to me that your forehand is so good because I think mine is better. I think he really does. And I think, yeah. frankly, it is. It yeah. is. I was surprised a little bit that John McEnroe said before the match that he thought the one edge that Tsitsipas has had over Novak was the forehand. I, I never really believed that because it, yeah. it, it, when he's given the time that he had against Hatchinoff or any of the others, it, it, you know, he, he's, he can do devastating things off that wing. But Djokovic comes at him with, with all of that firepower and consistency. And, you know, he now averages over 80 miles an hour on every forehand and used to be in the mid-70s. So he's got the pace, the depth, the control, and, and he doesn't seem to miss he still misses so few, even hitting it harder. Yep. And and that, I think, had to be really disconcerting for, 
for Stefanos because forehand to forehand, he was not, as has been the case in most of the recent matches, as you know, they met four times last year. And yeah. it's been the case almost every time they play. And then we all, we always knew that back end, you know, the back end cross court exchanges favored Djokovic to be sure. No, 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 nothing close there. And then, you know, as even though Stefano serves bigger than, <clears throat> than Novak, he didn't serve better. Yeah. Djokovic outserved him as well. So it was a, it was really a very clinical performance from, Djokovic and now he's raised his record Vanj as you know in the major finals at 22 and 11 which is very impressive because at one time he was 6 and 7 he's won yeah. 16, 16 of his last 20 major finals so he's become really an increasingly uh, excellent big match player and he's determined to exploit every opportunity he can get to win these major finals the only the, looking back on that streak on that streak of 16 out of 20 or that that run interestingly you know there there was a there was there's just a few u.s open finals that are surprising really when you look back especially looking back on the medvedev match i guess the strain was too much going for the grand slam uh you know there's a there's a few isolated days like that but boy there have not been many because he seems to he seems to be prime for every single major final that he plays yeah, those are all great points. And I, I was thinking about that 16-4 yesterday because I remember there was that break point in the fifth set against Federer in the 2014 Wimbledon final. And once he saved that, whew. I mean, because he was he was not he was on a losing streak in major finals up until that point. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a big one. And and uh And as you know, he was five two up in the fourth and he had match points. Well, that was the that thing. That's what made that match so strange. Yeah, he should have put it he should have closed it in four and then he could have lost in five, but he came through in the clutch and pulled it out. Yeah. But you know, it it he it's you know, he's had phases. He had a good phase early in his career, won five of his first seven. After that great 2011 season, he had a good record in the major finals. But then it then it, it slipped. And what he's been able to do, really, from 15 on is, is pretty pretty phenomenal. And that's why he that's why he's now tied with Rafa in the, in the majors. And you think the other thing, of course, is that that has to be gratifying is that he he went through such an ordeal last year, obviously not being able to play in Australia and being deported. And the whole thing was humiliating and, and in, in many ways unfair because they should have probably, he should probably have been told by tennis Australia not to come over in the first place, you know, in the sense that they should have, they should have conferred with the federal government and everybody should have had their been on the same page and they weren't so be that as it may that was a really difficult experience as was missing the u.s open so last year he played two majors he wins wimbledon and he loses to nadal and roland garros and uh so that's pretty tough to miss two majors in one year in your prime and then to come back and win this title now and catch nadal again because it was also not easy to come from two majors behind Rafa to make it even again. Not easy at all, but he's done it by winning Wimbledon last year. Well, for him, he's you know, it's his last two majors because he didn't play at the Open. So he he's personally won two majors in a row. And it, that took some doing, and it'll be fascinating to see now where we're headed and whether Rafa can get healthy again. What is your take on that bunch? Most people I speak to are kind of pessimistic about Rafa regaining his physical health. To yeah. the point where he can play on his terms again. I'm not quite as quick to pronounce that because of what I saw last year. 
I never would have believed that he could come back from what he endured in 21 with the foot missing the second half of the year like that, win Australia improbably from two sets down and nearly a breakdown against Medvedev, 2-3, left 40 in the third. And then to win the French when he's getting injections every day and he said he's got no feeling in his foot. And that was after a really disrupted clay court campaign. So he's still, he's still you know, it's such an extraordinary figure. I, I'm not quite ready to say we've seen the last of Rafa yet. But what yeah. would be nice is a healthy Rafa comes back, plays well on the clay. Novak maintains the, this high-level stuff. And if they could... I would hope that maybe this year we could get them on the opposite half of the draw again in Paris. You know, I mean, they, they played in that 2020 final, yes, but then it was the 2021 semis where Novak beat Rafa, and then we went back to the quarters last year. I don't want to see that happen. If, I hope that they can meet potentially in the final if, if, um, if Raf is healthy and if Novak has a good run, which he usually does at Roland Garros. And that would be really a, a great spectacle and great fun to see them meet on that stage with a 23rd major on the line and one of them taking the lead again well for Novak would be the first time he took the lead yeah um I share your opinion about many many several pundits and several commentators were so quick after he lost to Jack Draper to just you know almost like writing his obituary or almost hinting at it like oh the end is near and we've seen this so many so many times with Rafa we have we and, have, and I, you know, to 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 just to add some merit to their point, I was a little surprised that he played at the end of last year. You know, given that he just had a baby, and you know, you would have thought, okay, maybe Paris, London, he could have skipped one, if not both. But but that being said, I mean, he's going to have now five or six, seven weeks. I I don't think he'll play Indian Wells. I don't think he'll play Miami. He'll go through his entire well, you know what? play I, I, stretch. I, I was thinking about that earlier. I hope he doesn't. I, I hope, hope he I, if I'm if I'm him, I'm skipping those two tournaments. Yeah, I, I, because the, 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 the priority has got to be to get out on the clay and play as many clay court tournaments as his body can take and, and get back into a winning flow again, which he hasn't felt really since for a long time. I mean, the very beginning of last year was spectacular because he won the 250 event in Melbourne, then the Australian Open, then he went over and won Acapulco. Yeah. And uh, beat Medvedev again there, too. And, that, and then was in the finals of Indian Wells. So he started the year off as well as he could possibly have imagined. And then, but we haven't seen a role like that. It's, it's harder and harder for him to do that kind of thing. And then, of course, since Wimbledon, when he got to the semi and had a default to Kyrgios, it's been a terrible run for him since, since then, where he just has not been able to win many matches at all. The best yeah. showing he had was fourth round at the U.S. Open. And yeah. it was sad to see him sort of so hindered in in, in his second round loss to McDonald in Australia. And he was a he was a good it was gallant. I thought of him to stay out on the court. He could easily have quit. So yeah. I admired him for finishing the match. But but you seem to share my view. I'm still not ready to say it's over. I, I want to see what happens on the clay and usually on the clay. He did have some problems last year, but most seasons on the clay is when he tends to be at his healthiest. His body doesn't break down as much, and the softer courts seem to—it's his best surface, and it's and it's hot out most of the time. And all of these factors seem to help him to play his best. And then he just absolutely loves the clay, and his game is just tailor made for it. So I want to see that. I want to see how he looks over the course of the clay season, and and before we make any kind of judgment. Yeah, I mean, he has lost seven of his last nine matches since, I think, beating Gasquet at the third round of the U.S. Open. Yeah. 
So I right. And, and, you know, some of those losses were, you know, players weren't having to, to play to redline their games to beat them. So that's, you know, maybe one area where you could say, okay, yeah, maybe, uh, you know, the rest of the tour is catching up. The serve, you know, the, the, he seems to be kind of wearing up a little bit and wearing off a little bit in these matches. What I mean is he'll win the first set, you know, he'll start, he'll, he's such a good front runner, front runner normally, but in these situations, he's been kind of doubting himself normally, a little bit, normally, uh, getting that momentum. Yeah those match wins and you know you kind of have to win matches to get that momentum and i think i think he should just not play anything until monte carlo barcelona and maybe even pace himself there and you know maybe hopefully by madrid and rome his his form is looking a lot better and i hope he's not like number 10 or 12 and then we have we have djokovic and nadal in the fourth round i really hope that's not the case he's been a top 10 player since april of 2005 and you know that streak itself is so remarkable as you know so Oh, yes. No, but you know what? He's 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 more susceptible to the injuries on the hard, obviously. You know, it, it for the most part, and he'd be coming in cold, coming in after all these losses. What would he have to go on? So the danger is, if he started with Indian Wells, he could lose early there, then go to yeah. Miami. Still, it doesn't make any sense. While if he goes on the clay, even he's had even the longer break, that's his turf, that's his setting. There's a good chance he plays his way into form very quickly in the, and does nicely in Monte Carlo. So I just feel like it's kind of a no-brainer decision, but we'll see what he decides to do. And, uh, and it's going to be a I, – I, all I would say is even, even if he kind of regains some of that health and some of his form and we see something closer to the best Nadal, unless, unless there's a, a, a dramatic turnaround in terms of, say, win, winning rolling – good enough that he can win a 15th Roland Garros and good enough to contend at Wimbledon. If, if the, if the results remain mediocre, uh, then, then I could see, I could definitely see this being his last year, but I, but I think he's going to play it out and keep, keep giving himself every chance he has to find some, some, find some renewed vigor and, and confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, there were some names that definitely were missing in this tournament that I think could have added to the excitement. I mean, not that we didn't have a good tournament as it already was, and you had some exciting names with, you know, especially the Americans doing well. You have so many Americans now in the top 50 and 60 in the world, and you have the likes of Shelton and Paul, and, you know, um, you know, it was a shame that Fritz went out early, but obviously American men's tennis is looking good. But, um, you know, you just hope that Alcaraz gets healthy and we see a good season from him. Uh, you know, on the clay coming up, and then Indian Wells in Miami, and he's able to build that momentum because he's such an such an exciting player. And I was a little bit, you know, bummed. I think for the sake of the whole tournament, that maybe Rune didn't get to play Djokovic. I mean, in the end, it was a great effort by Rublev to get through. But those are kind of the names you circle with Alcaraz. Well, that was and... it, you're you're right. That was a very, that was a bizarre match because yeah, let's talk about that a little bit actually. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. You're, you're, Rune comes from two sets to one down. He goes up five two in the fifth. And, okay, so he didn't serve it out, and it goes to five ball. That can happen. But then he has two match points with Rublev serving at five, six. He can't convert those. Then he has a third chance by winning the first five points, five, zero, five love in the tiebreak. And and, it, and, he, and he couldn't do anything with that lead. That was surprising to me, that many opportunities. And you just wonder, was he – was he just overly excited about getting to the quarters, getting an opportunity to play Djokovic? You don't know. It's hard to know all the reasons why those leads eluded him and why he couldn't convert on uh, on them. But that I, I don't think it'll set him back long, Vach. I, I, it's just I thought 
given those circumstances, he would have been good enough to do it. Rublev stayed calm. Rublev was, was solid when he had to be. When he was behind, you know, he didn't show that usual anger and despair that we've seen from him so many times. So part of it, I tip my hat to him, but it was a disappointing loss for Runa and deprived him of the chance to play Djokovic for the first time since that dramatic win he had over him indoors in Paris last November. So it would have been fun to see that meeting, to see how Novak responded. I think Novak would have been all business and ready for it, but it would have been exciting. Nonetheless, I still expect some uh, spectacular things from Runa over the course of this season. Ups and downs, you know, it, it'll be pendulum swinging. It won't all be clear sailing, but he will, he, he's going to have some shining moments this year. And then I think we'll see where he goes from there. I still think as a, that he, uh, he has that champion's mentality and it's a matter of growing up and growing into it because the game I think is there. I think it's about his temperament. I think it's about his, his outlook and not getting overly excited and Patrick can help him with that. You know, when you have a coach that experience that I think he can help him deal with these circumstances and try to, try to calm him down and get him uh, sort of zeroed in on his targets and, and not looking too far ahead and taking it one at a time. So I, I'm still at, I'm still very optimistic about him, aren't you? I, I am. And actually, to be honest, it reminded me a lot of Alcaraz's loss last year to Berrettini in the third round of the Australian Open. Um, you know, in the sense that, uh, you, you know, more complete player sort of loses to someone more established in the top 10 and, you know, it's an experience, lack of maturity, maybe on some of the big points, some decision making in those in those crucial junctures. But overall, it's kind of growing pains, and you have to take those losses sometimes in majors for the long term. And that's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah, it could be. I see the analogy. I think that, that, that I don't think that Carlos squandered. He didn't have that yeah. as many opportunities. But you're right; it went right down to the wire, and yeah, and that's this set, yeah. this set tie break. So that there's the similarity. And then I think Carlos, if he had gotten through that, he would have had a good chance to play Rafa in the semis. And then we could have had an excellent match there. And I think it would have been the same with Runa for, for Novak. Yeah. So that's where I yeah, think. I, yeah, I think Novak would have been would have been kind of grim-faced and ready. And, and, and he would have started off very strong against Runa. But, it's too, you know, we didn't get to see it. So be it. It's not yeah. the kind of thing that I think is going to set Runa back for long. That's my point. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, of course, some of the other losses that kind of happened early on. I mean, you, know, you look at Felix. Felix, I never thought, really got going in this tournament. I mean, you know, and he had to come back from two sets of love down to beat Mochan. I think it was in the second round. And then, yeah. you know, he didn't look very convincing in, in his first round or third round either. And it's, his level just wasn't very high enough. And, you know, credit to Lehechka, who's who's had an amazing tournament. And he beat the likes of Nori and Chorich in the first round. And it was a good win against Felix as well. But... Every time they just went into extended rallies, him and the Hechka, I, I just felt like the Hechka had a massive edge. Every time it went over four or five shots, and Felix's serve was pretty much keeping him in the match. But it, yeah, we saw some of those same things uh, that we that we've seen sometimes when he's not at his very best. And you know, you 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 hope he's he has better showings in the next three majors. Yeah, I mean, listen, considering how the strong ending to last year and the three titles and the, the they're just a, a really impressive conclusion to twenty twenty two. Uh, you hoped for more from him. And it is, to me, kind of an in- inexplicable defeat. And he lost the last two sets in tie breaks, which makes it even more disappointing because that's where you're supposed to separate the men from the boys. Yeah, And he, he didn't show us that. And uh, 
again, I think he's a pretty even-tempered guy. I think he's clear-minded. I think he he keeps things in perspective. So I don't think he'll let it hinder him for long. But you also have to be tough on yourself about it and try to prevent it from ever happening again because, you know, he had set the stage to, to be a real threat here. And look, he's, he's very good on clay. He almost be, took Rafa to five at the French last year. He can do very well again at the French and certainly at Wimbledon in the open. He's very dangerous. So I hope we see the best of Felix at those events because he's such, he's just a, he is, he's such an, an exemplary representative for the game in, in every respect, the completeness of his game, his character, his demeanor, it's its all there. The fans can't help but love him, and, and uh, I, I think he'll turn it around. I hope he can get on something of a roll between now and the French to kind of restore that confidence. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, and then, and then you know, another guy I'm interested to get your take on is Casper Ruud. Because obviously, um, you know, we were talking about him when he made the finals of Turin. And then he went on an exhibition tour with with Rafa, and I can't really criticize him much for that because it's kind of a once in a life lifetime uh, sort of opportunity uh, to go and travel the travel the South America tour and play those matches. But then after that, I really don't think he gave himself a proper off season. And you can see he kind of the way he kind of tailed off a little bit in that fourth set, and he didn't look his physically at his most fresh. And he, you know, he was when he was asked questions about it in his press conference, he kind of gave a very diplomatic answer. And I think he'll look at it again for future years to see if he can, you know, schedule himself better so he can be in prime physical and mental condition, you know, at his very optimal peak. It has to be said well, that once we played an awesome match and his match acumen is, can be confounding for these top players. Yeah, you know, I, I, I hear you on all those points, Vach. My concern for him is that he set pretty high standards last year. You know, I mean, this is a guy that's in the finals of the French, which was a big, big deal. A little shocking, but very impressive. His best surface, then very unexpectedly reaching the finals of the U.S. Open and making it very competitive against Carlos in the final. Hard-fought four-set final. And then he goes to turn. You know, he's in the finals of the year-end championships. Nobody expected that either indoors. So for him to do that indoor hard at the year-end, hard courts at the U.S. Open, and even the French final, to live up to those laurels this year is going to be very difficult. So part of his issue, I think, is psychological. Yeah. Can he, you know, can he maintain standards that high this year? And can he replicate what he did last year? He's got to try to get that out of his mind and just take it, take each opportunity for what it's worth and t- just look at this year in an isolated way. I hope he does that. But then we're also going to find out if that was, if he it kind of... It, 
if, if he's really the kind of player that can post results like that year after year or whether that was a banner year and he slips back a notch this year and maybe we see him drop to between 10 and 15 in the world. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened either. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a wait and see situation there. But uh, obviously um, someone else who we have to talk about is Medvedev because now he's uh, outside the top 10 and just hasn't been the same player at all. You can trace it all the way back to last year. Um, the Australian Open final. And since then, I mean, you know, you've watched the match against Korda and, you know, you can say, okay, maybe there was a tight first set and Sevi got a little bit tied up two breaks in the first set. And, you know, Medvedev kind of really, and that's those situations, he would more often than not come through in a tie break like that. And maybe, you know, you wouldn't expect a score line like that, even as well as Sevi played. So you have to ask yourself the question, you know, where are we at with Medvedev? And I honestly don't know, but my, I, I'm a little bit concerned for him, actually pretty concerned. Yeah, listen. You know, he, he he's taken a big hit in the rankings. He's if you really, I, I still trace much of this back to the Rafa final of a year ago. And that's that's a devastating psychological blow. That's the kind of match that can haunt you for a long, long time. And I think it, it's happened to him because he was on the verge of a second straight major title, having won the Open the, over Novak. So he was in a position to beat Novak Djokovic in the finals of the U.S. Open, followed by beating. Rafa Nadal in the finals of the Australian Open. He was on the verge of doing that. And then that match getting away the way it did. And even the end of the match after he, he of course, had two sets to love, three, two, love, 40. Okay, Rafa comes, holds on and wins that set, wins the fourth. And then Rafa serves to the match in the fifth and Medvedev breaks back. And even then he had a second chance, but immediately lost his serve at five all in the fifth and it was soon over. So, Yes, just to get back to the present, I, I just trace it back to that because I think that set him on the wrong path last year. Then, as you know, he had the hernia problem in the spring. He couldn't play Wimbledon. There were some things that were not his fault. But then when he had an opportunity to sort of get it going again, you know, over the summer, I mean, a couple of losses in the Kyrgios, including the U.S. Open, and he didn't finish the year that great. And then he lost all those heartbreakers in the year-end championships, all those third set tie breaks. I mean, every match was a heartbreaking loss to to uh, Rublev, to Novak, uh, to, uh, and Tsitsipas, all three. Rublev, Tsitsipas, Novak. So some match, some of these losses he's played pretty well in defeat. Others he hasn't. But he he's definitely taken a hit in terms of his psyche. And and and, and then the question becomes, have, got, have guys figured him out? Uh, you know, it, we know what a wall he can be when he's at his best and getting every ball back. But it doesn't really punish the forehand that much. His backhand, yeah, he hits through with a, a with a, I think, a bit more penetrating. His serve can be great, but maybe it's become a little predictable. And then he seems to get niggling injuries. But there was a little problem with his arm there. He he gave a great press conference, one of the best I've seen him ever do in defeat. I watched it on YouTube, and he and it was he was so laudatory toward uh, Corda. He said some really nice things about him. And it wasn't, he didn't talk about this little arm injury he had until the end, only because he was asked. I don't think he would have ever brought it up. And he said it in the context of we all have little injuries. You know, it happens to all, to everybody. And he didn't in any way try to blame it for the defeat. But he's going to have a tough path ahead to work his way back up. Guys are not afraid of him now. They know he's still a tough, tough guy to beat, but that maybe they're not as afraid of him. And you just wonder what's going to happen with him. What happens the next time he plays Corda? What happens, you know, do, do, 
does an informed Felix start beating him? Sitsipas had started to turn the rivalry around. He's doing well against him. How will he fare against Alcaraz? Novak, who had, had been having some problems, some back and forth problems with him, including that U.S. Open loss, has really recently has gotten his measure and beat him a couple of times last year at the end of the year and then again at the start of this year in Adelaide. So he's got so many guys now that seem to be on top of him. I, I, he's going to be one to watch this year because it, you hope it doesn't spiral on him. And it's not like I think he's going to stop winning matches or stop getting to the latter stages of tournaments. But boy, winning the tournaments and putting himself in a position to win majors. And then, of course, the next one, Vonch, is the Roland Garros. I mean, he's improved on clay, but it, it's it's still definitely his worst surface. So then the question becomes, can he do something big that could help him later in the year by making a real sparkling showing at an Indian Wells or Miami? At this point, I'm not confident that he will. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, you know, maybe maybe you're looking at him second half of the year, maybe – just kind of has to get one really big win going, but it's it's tough because, like I said, so many guys know how to play him now, and they they kind of understand the rule book and what they have to do tactically. I think you know with the with the variety drawing him forward, you know the the deep return position that he has, and some of those yeah. adjustments. And also, I don't I don't think his serve is anywhere near as good as it, it used to be. The second serve used to be more under control than it is now, and it's double faults more. more double yes. faults, yeah. A lot of double faults, and second serve is not as reliable. First serve maybe not quite as piercingly accurate as it once was he could probably rediscover his form on the i could see him start serving better and just playing better overall but the, but it's going to be it's going to be very difficult for him you know with that many guys able to compete with him and able to to, to beat him and the other the other question with him bunch is just that temperament is that he you know there are times when he gets very frazzled out there there are times when you feel like nothing can disturb him at all but he's erratic that way. Then he's badgering, making these comments to his corner. Now, obviously, we saw Djokovic in in this tournament. There are times that he even semi kind of apologized to his team after the final because he knows he gives them a really hard time. There are times he vents with them. But the difference is he just wants to vent, and then he can get on with it. I feel like with Medvedev, when he starts moaning to his corner and complaining and acting, he acts like he's some kind of victim. Uh, Novak acts like he's angry and wants to do something about it. Daniel is more, how can this be happening to me? And then he can really go downhill mentally. So I worry about that part too, in addition to his game. Yeah, he can really let it linger for quite a long time. But I think um, some, someone else we should we should give a shout out to in the first week was Andy Murray. Because, I mean, those that, the kind of resiliency and perseverance that he showed to come through those first two matches. I know it's one of those where we've seen... We've seen it before and he doesn't have much energy left and it's not really, you know, at this point, you're not looking at him as a contender to win these Grand Slam tournaments, but more just, you know, add to his career legacy and win these big matches. I mean, coming back from two sets of love down, that Kokinakis match was unreal and then you have the Berrettini match, which he even could have conceivably finished, you know, quicker in the third or fourth set. But, and then eventually... Yeah, it's good, point. Good, point. But, good point. good point, because that's a good example. Suppose he beats Berrettini in straight, that he managed to sort of win a tiebreaker in the third and get off the court instead of having to go to the fifth set tiebreak. And uh, obviously, he could have also just lost the match because Berrettini had the opening for the match point backhand passing shot that he missed. Yeah. But still, no, I mean, I, I'm i not 
terribly encouraged. I, I think it's a step forward, and I think it's commendable that he could win that and then come back and beat Kokonakis. And finally, he, he had very little left for RBA. But uh, I don't know. I just feel like like he talks about getting his ranking up, Vonch. He's mentioned that. You've heard him talk about it. If he can get a better ranking, better get himself seated, put himself in, okay. But I don't see how just getting seated is going to stop him from getting in long matches from guys who don't happen to be seated. There are too many guys in the top 50 or 100 that can at least test him and keep him out there and make him work hard through four or five sets. And then in the Masters 1000s, when you're playing day after day, what happens? You get in a couple of tough three setters in a row to get to the quarters. You know, does he have anything left for that quarter on Friday evening? So it's going to be interesting. I, I you have to admire him for trying. Yeah. The mere the fact that he's willing to still be out there now. Obviously, he and Novak were born a week apart back in '87. You know, so we're we're talking about you know hitting coming up on 36 now in a few months. Uh, and he's a much older 36, given what he's been through with his hip than Novak is. So it, it's 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 worrisome, but he'll figure it out. And at least he's had some some encouraging results. And the Berrettini win was one of the most uh, exhilarating things that's happened to Andy in a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I thought last year he was get, starting to play a lot better in the, in the grass season. He made that final in Stuttgart. He had yes. some good wins over Sikapas yeah. and Kyrgios along the way. And then he yeah. he hurt his abdominal, I think, after he won the second set. And I yeah. thought, oh, no, there goes Wimbledon. But, you know, he did recover well enough, and he got to the second round. And I thought, I'm thinking, you know, if he can schedule himself right, I'm interested to see how he schedules himself. Does he play any of the clay tournaments? Does he kind of – because I think if you're looking at one big area where I think Andy can actually make a deep run, you know, maybe the fourth round or something, that would be Wimbledon where he could – Oh, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I could even I see maybe – chance. I could see even in the best case scenario, a quarter and maybe even sneak into a semi, but I, yeah. everything has to fall into place. And, and you're right. Good point about the grass, because this is all in, this is in a, in a Wimbledon is that's his, that's his place. It's two yeah. majors there. He got it in, you know, he, he, he looks back to 13. He looks back to 16. He's got great memories of that place. And he's got the Olympic memory and, and he's got the crowds cheering him on. That, that's worth something. But I hope between now and then we see some some good signs also. I mean, a, a lot of it will have to do with the standards he sets between now and, and uh, June. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, um, you know, someone else who's had a really good start to the year is Sebastian Corda. Um, you know, he's now in the top 25 and he's got, you know, this Adelaide. He had the match point against Djokovic. And I don't think he'll have many regrets about that because Djokovic hit an incredibly difficult overhead, actually, to save that. Did he ever? Yeah. Sebastian lobbed over his backhand side and Novak got back really nicely for it and hit it inside out for the winner. No, he couldn't. That was the right shot to play. You want to make him hit an overhead in a situation like that. He did. And it was pretty decent lob. And listen, he couldn't he, he couldn't. He, he couldn't have many quibbles about that. It was a great performance. It was not a top of the line Djokovic, yeah. but that it still doesn't matter because Djokovic on those days, on those slightly off days, is still going to beat most pe- people comfortably enough. And then to follow it up by beating not only Medvedev but Herkash at, in, in that another pendulum swing weird fifth set tiebreak because he's three one up and then he you know. It, it, uh, He's three one down. He's seven three up. Herkash is back to seven all. But again, he had the composure to get through that. And I actually thought going in, Bunch, that he would beat Hatchinov and make the semi. And that would have been interesting had he mm-hmm. done it. 
had he not hurt his wrist and had he beaten Hatchinoff and he got a crack at Sitsipas in the semis, that could have been quite an interesting match. Yeah. But <clears throat> we didn't get to see it. But I do think even with the disappointment of hurting his wrist and having to retire against Hatchinoff, it was still a good showing quarterfinals on the heels of finals of Adelaide. So I think we might see him now. I, I, I get a feeling, you know, he's going to make a bid for the top 10 this year, the bottom of the top 10, uh, because I think he's that good. But he can't afford to keep these injuries happen a little too frequently. I hope that they can. I hope that that stops this year. In the last couple of years, there were little things happening on, on too large a basis, too frequently. And I hope that stops this year and he can get on a run of good physical health because when, it, when, he's, when he is healthy, he's capable of beating a lot of players. And, and I think his confidence is building. And you can sense he's getting a little bit quietly cocky. I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. Uh, but he, he now doesn't he doesn't live in awe of any of his adversaries. He's he, he believes in himself. And I, 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 I'm excited about him. You know, I, 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 I have been for a couple of years, but this was the best development for him and best stretch for him in a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think his serve looks bigger than did uh, points last year. And he's he looks like he's put on a little bit of muscle in the offseason, which I think for him is is key because he definitely had to bulk up a little bit. And he's done that. Yeah, so think, he does. Uh, and he's got, you feel like it's kind of effortless with him. I don't feel, you know, he can, he, he's got all that pace off the ground. He just swings freely at the, the serve. You don't feel like he's muscling it or arming it. It's just a good motion and yeah. timing is excellent. And he's a good match player. And there's, you know, I, I and, and look, you talk about the other Americans. Fritz, I think, is going to have a great year. I think Tiafo is going to keep working hard and have a more consistent year than he did. Tommy Paul can build on the semifinals showing that he had here. So, and we'll see about Brooksby. But there was one nice win. We'll see if he can, if he can get to the next level. But there's, the American contingent is it's the best we've had in in ages. I mean, I think if you look at it from top to bottom, these guys in the top fifty and the top one hundred, it's the best lineup we've had since the the greatest American generation of Sampras, Agassi, Chang, Courier back in the 90s. Yeah, for sure. And then I think it's even that. better, even better than the Roddick, Blake, Fish era, which was very good. Yeah. But we've got more guys now in the forefront. And I and, and I think they're going to be heading toward the top 10. You know, Taylor's going to have his crack and at, at, at sort of uh, establishing himself as a consistent top 10 player. Francis is trying to make a move toward that territory. Corda is fully capable of being in that territory. And we'll see if Tommy Paul can make the jump now from getting into the top 20 and he pushes toward the top 10. I think they're all going to improve. Yeah. So, And it's, it's scary it's, to think how much Ben Shelton can improve as well. You know, even though he's made a major quarterfinal, you felt like, you know, watching that match against Tommy Paul, I felt like his backhand can get better. I think his, you know, his match playing skills can get, can definitely get oh, better. Yeah, I, I think his ground game overall, his ground game overall can, stands room for a great improvement and it, it will happen. And of course you're left-handed like he is, and you're that kind of an athlete and you can serve that well. He was scaring the daylights out of a lot of guys with the way he was serving over there. And it took someone of Tommy Paul's, you know, polish and match playing acumen and good solid returning skills to finally get to him. But that was a, tr- a great tournament. Now he's done himself such a favor by doing that in terms of the ranking. So he's going to be able to get in anywhere he wants and, Get play the one thousands and uh, he's got. I I expect him to sort of. I would think end of this year we might be looking at 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 Shelton somewhere around twenty five in the world. 
yeah that's uh that seems very much doable i think um no. So, so Bunch, what do you think now? Let's just talk at the at the end here a little bit uh, before we get to the women, uh, the women's final. Uh, what are your thoughts on this rest of this year for Djokovic? Here's my thought, and then you tell me what what your, yours. But I feel like if he is not able to play Indian Wells in Miami because they still the, the vaccine rule stays in place, I think he'll be by the U.S. Open. I'm very confident that. The U.S. government, the policy will have changed, and he'll be in. I think that that's almost certain. The way from what I'm hearing, <clears throat> that by then he shouldn't have any trouble like he did a year ago. But let's just say the scenario is no Indian Wells or Miami. I don't think that's going to hurt him this year at all because I think by having started the year, by having played all that tennis in January, you know, and, and winning Adelaide and winning the Australian Open and getting all that confidence, and you can just go back and train and then start starts with the beginning of the clay court circuit. I feel like he's going to make a strong bid for, for Roland Garros. He's going to have decent chances to win that. He's always, I mean, he's dominated Wimbledon since 2019 and didn't get the chance to even play there in 20 because there was no tournament. And then he's overdue at the open, in my view, with his three titles and not having won there since 2018 when he beat Del Potro in the final. I, I, my thought right now is to ask him to win all three for a Grand Slam is, is, is just not, not reasonable. But I do think he can get two of those. He, I, I'm pretty confident he'll get one. And I think he has a very um, a better than even chance to win two of the remaining three. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the way I see it is like Australian Open and Wimbledon seem like good bets uh, for yeah. him in, in, yeah. in his column. And it's interesting actually now because it's going to be sort of like a break point. <laughs> if he was able to get uh, Roland Garros and he was able to get that break, break and then sort of consolidate in the slam lead. Then you're looking at three going into the US Open. But, you know, I just think the calendar, the Grand Slam thing, it's, it's just too too difficult. The, the, the pressure oh, no, is really it too is, big. It is. There's a reason why it's only been done once before. And they were oh, yeah. No, I'm and, saying that no, I, I don't see that. It, it, it's a, he, he, it was an incredible opportunity two years ago, and he couldn't quite pull it off. That's asking too much. But I don't think it's unrealistic that he could have another one of his three slam years. Yeah, yeah certainly. We saw it in 11. We saw it in 15. We saw it in 21. This could be the fourth time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if it's it's not Nadal, he's unequivocally the second best clay court player. So, oh, he is. He is. Um, and and we've seen really, I mean, look, aside from 2020 and in, in the recent years of his battles, obviously o- over time there, it was very hard in the early years to deal with Rafa on the clay. But then he had the epic semifinal with him in 13 that he probably should have won, losing 9-7 in the fifth. But looking at it in recent years, and then, of course, he beat him in 15. He, be- he-, he had the great win over him in the semis two years ago. I think uh, he should have been in a fifth set last year. He's 5-2 in the fourth. And a couple of set points at 5-3 on his own serve. And Rafa was just too solid in the end at all four sets, and he, he, he won it. But I, I, I think even if Rafa's playing well again, Novak still has a pretty good crack at him. And if, if Rafa is not healthy and he loses to somebody else or whatever the circumstances, I, I would I would like Djokovic's chance against just, just about anybody. The most interesting match, of course, would be if he played Carlos. Yeah. Playing Carlos on the clay, there'd be a fascinating match. Yeah, I really wanted to see. I really want to see him and Carlos play again. Since uh, since Madrid last year, they haven't met. But, um, you know, what is you know, I could easily see a situation where he's playing, uh, you know, 
where he's not up to form by Monte Carlo and then, you know, sort of just building and then by Rome and Roland Garros, he's at his peak. I could easily see that. Especially if he's not playing in Wells in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It may take him a while to gear up again. And part of that will depend on whether he's played Indian Wells in Miami. But I think the rest, the rest wouldn't hurt him. He played quite a bit really post US Open where he obviously couldn't compete in New York. But then after that, you know, he took those couple of titles in the fall and then he loses in Paris to Holger Rune. Then he wins the year end championship. Amidst it all, he played a couple of matches in Labor Cup. So there's a lot of tennis. And now two tournaments right off the bat over here, 12 matches. You know, he, he's, he's pretty match tough. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like um, he, he won't suffer if he misses those other two. And if, if he plays them, he'll be pretty confident if he's able to play them. So yeah. either way, I think he's in, in good shape. And actually, if he does play those two, by the way, Vanch, I think then he might start off the clay court season a little stronger because, you know, he'll have that many more matches under his belt. But it's going to be interesting because you know his history as well as I do. And when he gets on these rolls, then, you know, his it, it's, confidence just soars. And, and, mm-hmm. he, and he doesn't really even think about losing. I mean, we've seen that. We saw it in 11 and 15, and it's happened again in 21. And he, he can pick up these majors in, in clusters. Yeah. The encouraging thing for him is that I don't see any physical decline yet. I still don't see it. Um, so, so, so that's, uh, that's key because oftentimes you see players at this age, they're kind of winning on experience and mental know-how and he's got, he's got that plus not enough physical decline nearly for the rest no, of the No, no, he's just that's a right. little more susceptible to these, the, the, you know, as we, understandably to some of these leg injuries, these injuries occur, but he battles yeah. through it. And, but in terms of movement and no, I mean, there's, there's no sign at all on, on that. And so that's yeah. gotta be encouraging to him. Yeah, um, you know, just one other player I wanted to get a little bit more of your take on since he did get to the final and, you know, before we before we start talking about Sabalenka and Rybakina, but I think, um, and, and that is Tsitsipas. I'm starting to ask myself the question, you know, is he going to win a major in his career? Because I think I think this was an encouraging fortnight for him. Um, you know, a good, a good now um, set of matches to start the year with the United Cup. And I, I'm encouraged a little bit about the way he's been protecting his backhand, especially, um, you know, which can be can be a weakness in his game. And he's starting to make a little bit more adjustments now, and Filipus is in his corner, and I'm, and with the whole clay season coming up, and you'd hope he'd do better in, at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open because when he's in full full gear, I think he's just he's got a very good package there that can overwhelm a lot of players. So I I kind of see him still getting on the board at some point. The question is just, you know, is he going to be able to do it against Novak? I don't think so. I think he's going to have to probably wait for, you know, Novak to Novak and Rafa to retire. But I think he'll have his moment. What do you think? Oh, I definitely think he'll have his moment. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 when, when you're in your mid-20s like this, you know, he knows he's got a lot of time. He doesn't need to panic. It doesn't happen to happen, doesn't have to happen this year or next year. And this was still a big step in the right direction to be in a second Grand Slam final. And I think he's, he's uh, highly professional. I think he's, he, he, he really wants to get better. The, the, the comments he made about Djokovic afterwards you – know, are indicative of him in the sense that he he's realistic about what he's up against, but also confident and 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 uh, proud of what he's what he's done, and he should be proud of what he did over there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a mystery to me that he hasn't done better at the Open. It it's less of a mystery at Wimbledon, but I think he, he I think he can change that, and I think with a, some some 
sort of re-examination of what he wants to do on his returns, you know, to return better on grass than he has in the past. Philippoussis can help him greatly with his grass court game. So he should start to improve at Wimbledon. We know what he can do at the French. He's going to be one of the main contenders there. And, and then at the open, he's overdue. It just, things have kind of gone awry for him in New York for reasons that we, you can't fully explain. I mean, that was a bizarre loss that he had in the first round last year that no nobody could understand. And he was upset about not being playing at Ash and he let things throw him. And that, that kind of thing just shouldn't be happening. He should be a threat at the U.S. Open any time. So, yes, I mean, I, I wouldn't be too... I, I believe that before his career is over, we're going to looking at we're certainly looking at a couple of majors. I don't think he's it's, he's going to even settle for one. I think we're looking at at least a couple, somewhere two, three, maybe max four, but I think it will happen. Yeah, uh, that's certainly a good take. And you know, obviously, you have that loss to Chorich, you know, three years ago, and I still think if he wins that yeah. match, you know, maybe he's yeah, that was maybe, a maybe that yeah. he could have gotten to the final there, but you will never know. But I think the tricky thing is just whenever he plays Novak, his forehand is not the biggest weapon on the court. He's not getting much. He's not able to come to the net also a whole lot. I mean, he was 12 for 17 and Novak just does that to you with his consistent depth and his quality yeah. from the baseline. And it's just one, it's just one of those, those matchups that are, that are tough. I but think so. I think so. I think you said it. I think that's really it. When you just, when you break it down and, you know, it's very hard for him to prevent. And, and the other thing is, um, you know, second serve points won. I mean, Djokovic wins, what, 62% of his second serve points in this match? It's, you know, that's yeah. it's quite a hurdle to come come back from that and expect to. Yeah, because because Sissabas is unable to really attack Novak's second serve. You know, right. he, he, Novak throws in the kicker and then he starts off in neutral in that point. The return comes back, but not in a way that's really going to damage him very often. And then Novak takes control of the point from the baseline. And uh, no, it's very hard. There's nowhere for him to go. And against anybody else, forehand to forehand, he's he's looking pretty good. Not against Novak. And yeah. and I think he, uh, I agree with you that there, there's a matchup issue there, and he plays him tight at times. And you have performances like Roland Garros 21 or the Paris indoor event last year where he comes close, but uh, in the end, Djokovic is is too good for him. And I think he, yeah. he kind of knows it. He's going to keep working and keep trying to solve the riddle. But I don't see him having that issue with anybody else. I mean, he did lose to Carlos last year a couple of times, but and he lost to him at the 21 Open in a heartbreaker too. But I have a feeling that in that rivalry, he may start to assert himself and, and get some wins here and there. I don't think that Carlos is going to beat I don't see Carlos beating him every time out the way Novak has done here with the 10 in a row. So, and we've seen how he's improved against the Medvedev thing he turned around, but you look at him against other top players too. And he can, he can hold his own. He can hold his own with these guys. And uh, so I think he, he leaves there with his head held high. And and I I agree with your assessment of his game. You know, when, when things are right, there's an awful lot of good in that game. And also, probably better on the attack than than most of the other guys. Djokovic doesn't give him the opportunity. Other guys do. And then when he gets in, he's a very capable volleyer now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, someone who is now capable of doing big things in this sport is, is Arena Sabalenka because she must be one of the oldest 24-year-olds as you've got to see because, I mean, this has been a long time coming, I think, Steve. You know, I mean, there were signs of it at the end of last year, obviously. Pushed Viontech was super close to winning that match. 
you know, played a very encouraging World Tour finals. Didn't lose that stretch, that match by any stretch of the imagination. Was super tight, just a couple of points in the tie break. And now you, yeah. you now you have this run. I mean, this this whole year actually, she's only lost one set, and you you go to the finals against you know, against Rabakina, who's in red-hot form and has just taken out this slew of Grand Slam champions along the way. And, you know, it's just one of those really, really high-quality finals. One of the highest-quality finals, that I think, of matches period I've seen since, you know, maybe it, it's hard to even go back go back in time. Maybe since, I was thinking, maybe since Brady versus Osaka at the U.S. Open. But yeah, probably. I, I think that's a good choice. Uh, yeah, it was... And the reason it was high quality because the points are being won and not lost. They both are very aggressive from the baseline. I think Sabalenka is better from the baseline. They both served ex- exceedingly well. And you, you look at it, and there are three breaks in the first set, and the and Sabalenka getting broken for the second time at, at four all that, that was catastrophic for her. But then you know the way she served the last two sets, unbroken, the way she held up under two double faults in the last two sets. Yeah, amazing. exactly. And and seven for the matchup against uh, compared to seventeen aces was not bad either. Yeah. And she and the last game with the four deuces and needing four match points and fending off a break point and she held her nerve on top of everything else. That's the one thing you didn't expect that up until now has been so suspect as you feel like she can implode. Well, she did not implode in this match. She was really admirable in the way with, with the way she controlled her emotions. So. Yeah, I think it was a, it was an impressive win because Rybakina has one of the best first serves in the game. I'm not wild about her second serve, which mm-hmm. looks to me to be a bit too attackable with the kick. There's not quite enough bite on the yeah. kick. And a lot of the players were taking advantage of it, but the first serve is great. And she has a good, even disposition. She's got a good attitude out there. She, did, she dem- demonstrated irrefutably that winning Wimbledon was no fluke. Uh, by getting to this final and taking Sabalenka to three. But I love the fact that it came down to just one break in the second and one break in the third for Sabalenka. And 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 that was such a – it was a server's contest largely, and I, I like that a lot. Yet they had some decent rallies too, not many long ones. But I did think Sabalenka defended better. I like her yeah. way she can defend out of the corners better than Rybakina. And I also think she's just a, a – uh, spectacular shot maker and and so she's come up she, this is going to do her a world of good bunch you know to get this get that burden off of her and win her first major and start the year this way and she will she'll be in the thick of things in the remaining three and uh, people underestimate her as a clay court player i've i've watched her in the past on clay and some of those matches with ash barty and she can really play on the dirt so um I don't even rule her out of winning Will and Garros, but she'll certainly be right in there at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. So my guess is we might get one more out of her this year. I think yeah. that I think there's a decent shot that she gets one more. Now, the other player we should just talk about briefly before we sign off, Bunch, is uh, Sviantuk. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts there? I Here's someone who wins 37 matches in a row last year, and she's so dominant from early in the year after losing in Australia, right up through the French, until she lost early at Wimbledon. And now, okay, she bounced back and won the U.S. Open, but I haven't liked that much what I've seen since the U.S. Open, and I'm a little concerned about her. And you know, is there? Does can the forehand stay aggressive enough? Can she make it enough of a weapon on the fast? Of course, will it hold up under pressure? And also, just her outlook. 
she seems very tense at times out there. And Rabakana totally outplayed her in Australia. So I'm a little concerned. I don't see a collapse. I'm not concerned like what we were talking about with Medvedev. But I am wondering whether she's going to be able to sort of maintain this status as the best player in the world and play up to the level we, we started to see from her a year ago when she wins two majors. I mean, this mm-hmm. is going to be the, the rest of this year is going to be very telling for her. Yeah, I think you you made some good points there. There's definitely a little bit more mental frailties, um, you know, and, and I think there's similar type of players who are picking her off, who are, you know, attacking her serve. And particularly, I think yeah. a lot of people make points about her second serve, but I actually don't think it's the second serve. I think it's the first serve. I don't yeah. think she gets nearly enough out of that first serve as she doesn't. She, as doesn't. she, she really can't. I mean, it's essentially just a, a point starter. She won the same number of, she had the same percentage in her second serve points one as her first serve points one in that Rebakana match. And that's, and that's, yeah, not, no, that's, that's not great, you know? Oh, no, that won't cut it. That won't cut it. And I've been concerned about that too. And that's another thing. It's, yeah, first serve, I agree. Second serve still could improve forehand not where it quite where it needs to be those are three serious areas of concern for her yeah and, and i think she's uh, feeling the pressure as well uh, you know she was saying afterwards in her press conference that uh, you know the pressure of being the number one player in the world and it, it definitely got to her you could sense it she was three love up in that second set yeah she just tightened up a little bit you know it's a strange thing Vanj. I, I i don't i i have I, I don't understand it because i've seen some players when they reach the summit like that and they know they've worked hard to get there. And then they get there, they say, you know what? This is where I belong. I, I, I have no intention of letting go. I didn't get here by accident. I'm going to stay here. And it's going to take somebody great to wrestle this away from me. And strangely, she takes a more defensive attitude. And it's like a burden. I mean, McEnroe was was more in her corner. You know, McEnroe, strangely, had tr- trouble kind of dealing with success. <laughs> and, try, you know, and not... Not terrible, but there would be time. That's why you would see McEnroe have an incredible 81 when he won Wimbledon in the Open and Davis Cup and then doesn't win a major in 82. And then he wins only one in 83. And then he has the great 84. Season to season, you didn't necessarily know what to expect in terms of what his outlook was like. What, But, you know, you looked at Lendl or Connors or Sampras and other champions and they got to the top and and they were extremely comfortable there. And I'm a little surprised as we on case that she didn't that she didn't take more of an attitude of this of look, I earned this and I don't care if Ash Barty's not around here anymore and I don't care if Naomi is going through a difficult stage and we don't know what's gonna happen with her. I belong and I'm the best. And she hasn't had that feeling at all. Yeah, I think I think she still has time to get it to get that feeling back and I still would back her against anyone pretty much on the clay because I just think she on the clay, so well yes. and I, she's got I, such a heavy it's got such heavy ground strokes and, you know, that that uh, game will just hold up a lot better, I think, on, yeah, listen, on that surface. Yeah, listen, best shot. I totally agree. It's far and away her best surface. But there again, if, if she's feeling the pressure at Roland Garros, and she did, she fought her way through that and passed that last year. She was tight in some there. And I hope that uh, that's not the case this year because that could cost her defensive or French title too if she's too tight. So... She's definitely wound up. She's definitely a very intense competitor. And and uh, I, I get it. You know, she cares a lot. And it, it's her background. It's her it's it's her, uh, her pride. There's so many factors there. But I hope I hope that I hope for her sake that she's at her best in Paris, because that that's that's a great opportunity for her to at least get one one more uh, major out of this season.
Yeah, I'm still expecting, I, you know, in general outlook, I'm not too I, I still have a pretty positive outlook on her just because she's still only 21 and, you know, she's yeah. got three majors in her column and it's, uh, you know, it's quite difficult to back up a year like she had last year. So if she can get, you know, any kind of, any, anywhere close to that, I'd say win one, one slam, maybe get to, maybe give herself another position, maybe do a little better at Wimbledon, you know. Maybe well, Roland Garros could well be the key, the key to everything. And I mean, if yeah. she has a disappointing early round loss or even if she lost in the quarters, uh, that could set her on a tailspin through the rest of the year. I, I don't mean to the point where she doesn't stay up there in the top three or four and win some titles here and there, but it could it could end up costing her a chance to win any majors at all this year. So I think that 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 what she does in Paris will be pivotal this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. But uh, looking forward to the rest of the rest of the year, and you know, this was a great way to start start the twenty twenty three season and. I think we've got a lot of captivating storyline with the amount of depth that there is on both the tours and just the number of players we're going to have our eye on this year. I mean, we're in for, we're in for quite a season, Steve. Oh, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's a, it's a, it's a really a grip, a, you know, a, a, an excellent start to the year in, in every respect for the men and the women. And yeah, I think that, that there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of possibilities ahead and, and uh, I, I like what I saw in Melbourne, and, and it, it, it gets me excited for the rest of 2023. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can chat sooner than the French Open, and we'll exchange more notes and ideas. And this was great, I think, for all of our listeners. Uh, quite a bit of content covered in the last 75 to 90 minutes or so at such last minute. So I appreciate that a lot, Steve. All right, Bunch. I enjoyed it, and thanks for taking the, taking the time, and we, we'll talk soon. Yep. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 